Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 227, How to Build Orion. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. We've discussed NASA's Artemis program, the one that's returning humans to the moon as a sustainable program. Part of making this possible is thinking ahead. So when we talk about gearing up for Artemis 1, we have a lot of people focused on Artemis 2 and even 3. On this episode, we're going to talk about some of that planning, namely with the Orion spacecraft, the part that humans will live and work in during those first Artemis missions. Specifically, we're going to start from the ground up on how Orion spacecraft are manufactured for Artemis missions and where four of those spacecraft are today. To discuss this, we're bringing in Ned Penley, who was the manager of the Orion Program's Planning and Control Office when we recorded this, and has since been promoted to the Deputy Associate Administrator for Management for the Exploration Systems Development and Space Operations Mission Directorates. We're also bringing in Stu McClung, the Chief of Staff of the Orion Program's Planning and Control Office. So let's get right into it and learn what it takes to build Orion. Enjoy. Ned and Stu, thank you so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Happy to be here. Uh, yeah, thanks. I'm looking forward to having the discussion with you. It should be fun. How to build Orion, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Both of you are, are I guess, maybe one of, one of the things ways that we can describe your jobs is uh, very intricate project management, making sure that a, an Orion is built uh, all across the country uh, and that meets the right qualifications. Uh, you have all the relationships, so, so that's what we're going to dive into today. I hope I'm describing your jobs correctly, though, but but instead of me doing it, I'll, I'll toss it over to you. Ned, we'll start with you. In terms of your role as the manager of Orion Program Planning and Control, what exactly does that mean? What exactly do you oversee? Yeah, it's a good question. Thank you. Um, it's, it's funny. A lot of people ask me that. You know, what is program planning and control? It's not a usual uh, title. My, my job is best related is I, I manage the business office. So I manage the, the, the budget and the schedule and uh, uh, topic called configuration management. That's kind of making sure that the, 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 the paperwork is, is, is in line and that we can actually describe what it is we have built and that we all know exactly what it is, uh, is that is built. Um, and uh, a few other things, export control, uh, just making sure that the data is controlled in a secure way. And uh, that's, that's, that's pretty much covers it. All right. Um, and, and Stu, you're also in the same office. Now, what is, what is your role? Yeah, I'm uh, really Ned's chief of staff. Um, so I work, I do whatever Ned tells me to do, uh, or, <laughs> or at least I pretend to. Um, so I'm an engineer. I've been on the program a number of years. I'm an engineer by background. And so I bring a uh, an engineer's point of view uh, to, to Ned's office. I have a lot of, my focuses are on you know, what kind of risks are, and threats are coming uh, that, the, that the program might have to deal with. It, 
that the finance side will need to adjust to. And so I kind of reach across to other offices within the organization and try to try to smooth out and make sure that the, the technical content uh, of developing this vehicle and building this vehicle are, are kind of in sync with, uh, you know, the financial aspects that uh, Ned has to manage. Making the whole thing work. A very, very important job. But we're, we're talking about Orion here, and I want to set some context for our listeners on exactly what that is. So, so Ned, um, if you had to give a brief overview on just what this is, what you're talking about, this program that you're overseeing and make work, what is Orion? Sure. Um, so the Orion is, is the nation's next exploration spacecraft. Um, it will take humans further than humans have ever gone in space. Um, around the moon um, and, and to, the, to the lander that is going to land uh, a woman on the moon and a person of color on the moon. And we're, uh, uh, the, the, the Orion spacecraft itself is, is really three different pieces. It's a, uh, a capsule where the crew members ride in. It's the propulsion system, the, the, the thing that rides on the back of the capsule kind of pushes it around the moon. And then it's the launch abort system, which is the kind of the ejection seat, if you will, like an air, like an aircraft. It, uh, if, if there's something that is untoward that happens, that the launch abort system can pull the, the capsule to safety. So a lot of a lot of different components. Um, now, what is the overall mission, Ned? When you're talking about here's here's this vehicle, here's here's what it's going to do. What exact what exactly is the purpose of Orion as part of this overall overall structure here? Yeah, good. The, the Orion is is part of the Artemis overall Artemis program, and in the Artemis is will will again take uh, the first woman. Uh, and a person of color to to the moon. Um, so the Orion spacecraft itself is really the transportation of the humans from the Earth to the moon. Um, it, it goes from the, the launch pad. It rides on the top of the the, the giant uh, SLS rocket, and then we'll take the the crew all the way to orbit the moon, and then dock with the lander and a couple of folks from the from the Orion capsule will get into the into the lander, go down to the moon, uh, do their work, come back to the Orion, and then Orion provides that transportation back from the moon to the Earth. So that's a pretty important job, and there's a lot of things going through my head on what exactly are all of the components to actually make that Orion, that space capsule, do what it's supposed to do. And there's a lot of, there has to be a lot of different elements because today's topic is building Orion. And so there's a lot of pieces that have to come together to make this work. So, so Stu, if you were looking specifically at the Orion vehicle and now getting into the discussion of building Orion, what are some of those components that are being brought into the capsule to construct this vehicle? Um, great question. And it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, it's a very complex vehicle with a lot of just a lot of different parts. And uh, so the build process um, and the construction process is interesting. It starts, you know, it starts really early on when we get, like Ned gave you the overview of what the mission is, right? The mission gets defined and that definition gets broken down a 
a little bit further for each of the various systems because I, you know, we say, all right, we're going to carry four astronauts out to the surface, vicinity of the moon and back, right? That's my mission requirement. And then I start looking at, all right, I need structure to do that. I need computers, avionics, I need communication systems, uh, power systems, and the different uh, scientists and engineers, right? We kind of, that, that process starts with them uh, either starting on a blank piece of paper or starting with code, starting with uh, you know, a CAD system, and they start to build and design those components, right? And we get, and we get that initial, what are my requirements? And we lay that out and we, we turn them on and say, let's go build something. And that, so that's kind of, that's the first domino in the process. Hmm. So, so Ned, what are those, what are those checkpoints that, that, uh, at each of those dominoes? So if you, if you have your components, what are the things that you were doing along the way to make sure that you're not missing a step to make sure you you're getting all of the different requirements that you need, whether it's components, whether it's verification, whether it's testing, um, what are those key, key points in constructing Orion? Yeah, good. You know, NASA has, has learned over the years. Uh, that they have to have these checkpoints um, that where you know you got groups of engineers are doing their thing they're making assumptions they're 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 meeting their requirements they're up for their their little piece and then you have to kind of bring all that together bring the whole team together and say okay are we are we on track and are, are you guys uh, you know over here building whatever their system uh, is it going to interface with the other systems uh, correctly. And, and we call those design reviews. Um, preliminary design review is a, a, a typical one that you have a little bit early on. And then uh, critical design review. Um, critical design review is when most of your drawings are finished and, and stuff. And it's sort of, I'll, I'll call it the last check, if you will, to say, okay, are we ready to actually go build this and you know, cut metal and, and, and stitch all this stuff together. Um, so PDR, preliminary design review, and CDR, critical design review, those are some, some key design points where we get the whole team together uh, and, uh, and make sure, you know, just, just double check, if you will, that, uh, that we're, we're on track. And so we had our critical design review in 2015 um, said, are we ready to go? Uh, we decided we were ready and uh, started stitching this thing all together. And, and, and now we have a vehicle stacked uh, in, at the Kennedy Space Center and it's, uh, it, it's, it's getting ready to go. So you know, one of the things or I was going to the things I, the way I like to visualize it sometimes, if you think about a, think about an orchestra, right? And you've got a percussion system and you've got a violins and you've got the, the cellos and you, you you name it right and all of these experts are experts on on that instrument right and at these checkpoints coming together and it's like all right we're going to play as a team we're going to have this integrated beautiful music and really that's kind of it for for somebody that doesn't build complex vehicles i like to think of it that way because it's the way you can visualize it hmm yeah, yeah, a nice little comparison. Every 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 instrument in an orchestra is critical to making it sound the way it's supposed to sound. Otherwise, you have an incomplete piece. Um, a very very interesting way of 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 uh, very interesting comparison for sure. 
uh, Stu, to, to build off of that, to build off of Ned's comments, um, let's start with, you said, I think it was from, from what Ned said, I think CDR was in 2015. And then you talked about cutting metal and, and those sorts of things um, and, and, and building it until it's stacked. That's a, a lot has happened in that time frame, right? From the time that you passed that critical design review to the time that it is, it is, now, it is now stacked on top of a, of a rocket. Um, a, a brief overview of just some of the things that were accomplished in that time to, to make that possible, to go from constructing, making sure you had all of those different components to saying this is ready to go on top of a rocket. Yeah, great, great question. Uh, you know, and so along the way, right, we've had a couple of uh, some major tests. We flew uh, EFT-1 uh, back in December of 2014. And, uh, right, that was a, we basically built an early version of the vehicle and ran a test, a uh, really good successful test flight and uh, proved out sort of in a, on an interim basis uh, what the, the, the design was meeting our expectations, right? And then we flew ASN abort two back in July of 2019 to specifically look at the launch abort system. And so we've we've had a couple of those uh, test flights, uh, which are you know, a different type of a of a checkpoint, right? Sort of a of a of a dry run and a rehearsal. Uh, and now really we're le le leading up to Artemis one, um, which will happen in the spring, which is really our next big. Um, test flight and we're going to prove going to prove to ourselves that uh, the testing that we've done on the ground the the analysis that the engineers have done along the way uh, that when it's all stitched together the vehicle's going to operate the way we expect it to operate right this is we've got a lot of test objectives that uh, or uh, that we intend to ex exercise and meet uh, when we fly very critical step to build Orion is to verify that once you put it together, it's going to work. And those tests seem to be a very critical part. Now, now the parts themselves do um, an, an overview of some of those parts, right? Like the because um, you're procuring them from from all over. You know, where are the solar arrays come from? Where are the where are the pyros coming from? Where are the avionics coming from? Um, to to actually bring it together and get to a point where you're ready to test it. Oh yeah, great question. Yeah, it's interesting. Um... One of the things I've in my past, I've I've worked on uh, some of that hardware, and it's gosh, this is not it's a U.S. effort. There's vendors all across the country and suppliers all mm -hmm. across the country, and we're partnered with ESA. They provide the the service module, and so there's actually hardware coming in from Europe, um, and so it kind of depends on what you're looking at. Let me let me start with avionics, right? The the computers and the other avionics that you know provide the command and control of the vehicle uh, come from a handful of vendors across the country. Um, you know, Lockheed Martin is our prime contractor, and uh, Honeywell is one of their major subcontractors. And so you've got teams; uh, they've got teams in Florida, they've got teams in Arizona uh, that are building up the hardware. Um, solar arrays—that's another good one because that one's a nice, uh, complicated. They're not complicated, but complex. The actual solar cells are built by a company here in the U.S. Uh, we ship them over to the Netherlands to, to RUAG, which is uh, one of the uh, suppliers in the ESA supply chain. They assemble the solar array itself uh, and get it built up. It then goes to Bremen in Germany, uh, where Airbus and ESA assemble the vehicle for some testing. Uh, it gets tested with the vehicle there. Then it actually gets shipped 
separate from the service module, along with the service module, back to Florida for all the final assembly and testing uh, of the vehicle. All right. So the solar arrays uh, come from parts uh, all over the place. I've um, you mentioned pyros as well. Uh, pyrotechnic vendors. We've got some on the west coast. Got some in the northeast. Um, in fact, um, the fairings, uh, the, the, the flanges that we use to separate the fairings as we climb uphill, the, the structure of the, the fairing is built in Minnesota. The fairing is, or the, the frangible assembly is built up in, uh, up in Connecticut. They are then shipped to our facility in New Orleans where the fairing is finally assembled and that goes to Florida. So it's a, you know, there's parts all trucking and flying all across the country uh, that all end up coming together uh, you know, as, as we build up uh, the vehicle down at our assembly facility at the Kennedy Space Center. And Stu, that's something I find incredibly fascinating, just how many how many commercial and international partners are involved to make this work. And and Ned, you you um, Stu mentioned the the partnership with ESA, and and it seems like there's you know we have that partnership with the service module. We also have uh, we're sending them over with with different uh, contractors over in 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 Europe. That has to be you know talk about that relationship with because uh, we're talking about the Orion capsule. The service module is a critical component. How does that relationship work and and making sure that all requirements are met um, to to make this mission possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's really cool. Um, so this is more than just a U.S. spacecraft. This is an international cooperative to build this spacecraft, as as Stu mentioned. Um, and you know, NASA has a, a a history of cooperating with other countries. You know, the International Space Station was built with a cooperative ESA, Canada, and Russia. And the the cool part about this is there is a linkage there. So the, the agreements that we had set up for the International Space Station, we actually leveraged some of those agreements. There was some some uh, some cost that that, that was owed um, in, in from ESA to the U.S. and and we said, hey, why don't you build the 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 service module, the propulsion piece of the Orion spacecraft? And they had the capability of doing that. That offset their cost. So it was it was actually a win-win for everybody, and we wound up uh, striking this agreement. And so um, uh, it's just an extension, if you will, of the cooperative that we that we have as a as an agency, as a country, with other other countries to to get this done. It's, I, I think it's pretty cool the way that 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 has worked out. Um, everybody uh, everybody has a, a piece of it. Everybody has a piece, and we're all we're all trying to contribute to to enabling human missions to the moon. That's what we talked about in the very in the very beginning. Um, so let's get into the missions and just how all, building Orion is contributing to the missions themselves. Stu, I'll pass it over to you because um, it sound what what uh, what Ned said before was that it's it's stacked. Um, uh, it's it's in Florida now, uh, and we're we're trying to uh, where that is for the the purpose of of stacking that vehicle on top is for the Artemis One mission. Now, what are the objectives of the Artemis One mission? Why did we build this Orion uh, to fly to fly Artemis One? Excellent question. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to 
sort of think of Artemis one as my, not my hour, right? Our last um, really big test, uh, test drive, if you want to think of it as a vehicle, right? Before we go put the, uh, the crew in there, right? The crew's in a sense, crew's my final stakeholder and customer, right? And this is our last, this is our chance, opportunity to, again, prove to ourselves that this vehicle will operate and behave the way we expect it to. Uh, and so we understand the risks uh, appropriately uh, to go and then put crew in it on, on Artemis too. You know, we have a mission stacked full of flight test objectives, uh, everything from, you know, verifying uh, that the com the communication system works uh, as smoothly as we expect, able, uh, up, able to uplink commands. You know, we touched on solar arrays earlier. Uh, we've got predicted performance on how much power the solar arrays will generate and how it will and how much power the vehicle will use. And now we're you know the, the orchestras together, and uh, we'll prove that as in an integrated system, right? Uh, we'll look at that. Uh, the cooling system, the same thing. We'll look at the how the the vehicle cooling system works and maintains the temperatures in the cabin and across the different parts of the structure. Uh, the propulsion system will get to operate. We've tested the propulsion system heavily on the ground um, and, and, and in labs, and now this will be the, the pull-up system test. And then one of the really key objectives happens right at the end. Um, the, we will get a good test of our heat shield. Uh, this is really the biggest uh, heat shield for a human capsule that's built, right? We're about a 16 foot diameter vehicle. When you come back from a lunar re-entry, you're traveling at extremely high rates of speed. We've tested in the lab, we've tested in the arc jet, we've analyzed. Uh, we had an earlier test on EFT-1 that was at a lower speed and lower energy. This gives us a lunar re-entry velocity to, to verify that, that the heat shield design uh, is ready to go and ready to give the crew a good safe mission and return. So it's it's all of that sort of stuff all stitched together. And, you know, we'll launch, uh, we'll do one, do a quick orbit of in low Earth orbit, uh, get the solar rays out, get the early system check out, and then head out towards the moon. So Ned, building on to Stu's summary of Artemis 1 and the objectives and thinking about from the from the production aspect here, um, just what went into the design and build of Artemis 1, let's compare that to Artemis 2 uh, and the objectives of that of that mission after we complete this one next year, and or I guess by the time this podcast released this year, 2022, um, uh, how will that, how will the Artemis 2 objectives compare? And then building onto that, how does that change in the production of uh, the Orion, meaning what has been added to that vehicle to add on to new test objectives. Yeah, sure. Well, let's see, um, as Stu described, you know, we're the, the Artemis One is really a test of the systems of the spacecraft uh, and, and making sure that the spacecraft systems all work, work together. One thing that we don't have on Artemis One is crew. We're flying it uncrewed. We want to test that heat shield before um, we put crew on it. Make sure that all that that works as as uh, designed. And so then Artemis two then becomes really the the first opportunity to put crew on the spacecraft. And so we we are uh, finishing the we call it the ECLAS system, the environmental control and life support systems. There are some systems that uh, that we don't need on Artemis one because because there's no crew, um, 
things uh, that that exactly su- support the the crew, like breathing for breathing for uh, just living on board. So we're going to finish those and put those on the, the Artemis two spacecraft, and then and then we launch the crew. and uh, And the big test there is to to make sure that uh, that those things function as as uh, designed, and that the crew uh, safely we can safely deliver the crew to the moon uh, or orbit the moon and then return. Very critical components to add to that spacecraft. And and Stu, I'll go real quickly to, to Artemis 3 for a second. Any other changes and, and additions or anything that's, that you have to think about in terms of the production of that vehicle uh, to get ready for new objectives for Artemis 3? Uh, there's the one most, uh, the biggest thing that will come in on Artemis 3 is we will add in our rendezvous and docking uh, capability. Uh, as you know, we we rendezvous and dock, not we, but you know, there's rendezvous and docking going on to space station and low Earth orbit today. As we start building up the gateway, Orion will end up, uh, will have the requirement to rendezvous and dock with the gateway or with, you know, any, uh, what, you know, other uh, other vehicles that are in the lunar vicinity. And so as we've been developing the vehicle and uh, balancing out what we want to do on each mission, the next big addition uh, to the Artemis 3 mission will be our docking system, rendezvous and docking system. Now that system is being developed right now, uh, leveraging off of a lot of past history that the agency has uh, from docking to the ISS. Um, and developing those systems, testing them on the ground. Uh, and so, and we'll have a, and we'll bring that on board. And then um, depending on, you know, we'll fly Artemis, every time you fly, you learn something, right? And so when we fly Artemis one in the spring, um, and if we learn something, uh, if we see something in performance that the judgment is really needs to be blended into Artemis three, that's part of our it's part of our whole design process, right? We'll uh, mm. we'll get I'll get an engineer and we'll that'll come to Ned and say, hey, I I saw this and I really need to make this change, and then we'll start the debate about the you know Ned's going to ask how much it's going to cost because that's one of his roles, <laughs> and so we'll start that iterative process of I learned this, um, is it important enough that I bring it on to Artemis three? Can I wait till Artemis 4, right? What's the lead time for it? And so that, that whole iteration process. But the, the, the one big obvious addition to Artemis 3 will be rendezvous and docking with uh, elements of the Gateway program. Very, very important and very exciting. Seems like there's, there's modifications built along the way based on things that we're learning, which is very important. I think it's also very exciting, Stu, that when you're when we're talking about some of these missions objectives, these these missions are years away, but we're already planning for them right now. And in fact, we're we're building Orions to enable them. Um, and so so there's Artemis one, two, three, and even I think early fabrication of Artemis four. You guys are well prepared, planning well in advance uh, to make these these missions work. So take us through where each of these uh, capsules are from Artemis 1's one, 1 through 4. Okay, yeah, Artemis 1, like, like Ned pointed out, Artemis 1 is, is we're stacked, we're on top of the SLS. Uh, in a sense, Artemis 1, uh, the Orion, is done. We're ready to fly as soon as we finish the integrated testing with the SLS. Uh, we're, we're ready to go. Artemis 2, both the crew module and the European service module 
uh, are in the assembly facility there uh, down at Kennedy Space Center in the ONC, going through their parallel sort of parallel processing uh, and testing, and they'll be brought uh, together uh, in, in a number of months uh, and then integrated together as we keep building out towards that next mission. Uh, the Artemis three pressure vessel uh, was just finished uh, at the Lockheed facility down near New Orleans at Michoud. Uh, it's been delivered to Kennedy. And so we've got Artemis two and three vehicles uh, in the same building and just in different stages of production. And there are components coming in from all across the country, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, headed to, to Kennedy to start populating, you know, both the Artemis two and the Artemis three uh, vehicles. And we've just, uh, I've seen some early pictures of some of the primary structure being machined for the Artemis four pressure vessels. So some of the like, as you mentioned, right, some of these, uh, there's, there's lead time, you've got to get in the, in the queue uh, uh, with it, various suppliers. And so we've got, uh, you know, between structural elements, either being forged or in machine shops, uh, or I'm off buying connectors, some one of us is off buying connectors, uh, or circuit cards or uh, for, you know, uh, for a computer for the Artemis four vehicle. Um, but yeah, so, uh, Things are going. Uh, we got uh, parts being fabbed all across the all across the globe uh, to support this. That's... Yeah, just to follow on, just to, if I could just follow on, Stu, yeah. with that. Um, you know, I was down at the Kennedy Space Center, so you know, it's been a few weeks ago, um, and they took us over to the vehicle assembly building where we see the the rocket being stacked up, and and there's the the uh, the Orion Artemis One vehicle, uh, and then then you go over to the ONC building, the operations and checkout building. That's the building where we're we're actually fabricating the other spacecraft. And and uh, you know here's here's Artemis Two, and it's it's all uh, you know it's, it's almost you know it really looks like a spacecraft. It, you know just getting all put together and welded, and the wires getting in, and all the the avionics parts are are, are getting in, and they're they're working and starting to really take shape as 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 a spacecraft. You look at it, wow, it's getting close. And then uh, here's some Artemis three parts, and and uh, it was it just sent chills up my spine. That wow, this is this, this is really cool. It, it's uh, it, it's it's starting to be like a, a regular assembly, and and uh, I think that's really cool. It's kind of where we're shooting for, so where we can do this in a in a regular consistent basis makes it real right you're looking at the numbers you're 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 on the phone everything is remote making sure all the pieces are flowing where they need to but then when you actually see it in person you know all your work is there in, in a physical thing and you're in you're looking at it you're looking at all the hard work um that everyone put together from sound, sounds like all over to, to to make it happen and it really takes a team doesn't it ned like when you're when you're working this and when you see see these vehicles this is the result of working with like like you were mentioning earlier, working with international partners, work, working with contractors and suppliers from all over the globe, uh, thinking about those relationships and, and maintaining those, uh, you know, what has to really go into those relationships and, and make sure the, uh, the requirements are clear so that you can get to a moment where you're looking at these, these, the actual hardware and you're, and you're realizing all of the work 
being brought together into a a final product. What is it? What is it like with the with the relationships with partners and contractors? Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I was thinking about uh, your your comment made me think of of you know the the early stages that PDR kind of stage, the preliminary design review kind of stage. We're you're looking at drawing, you know, uh, requirements. How, how are you going to get your drawings done? And, you know, when is all this going to get done? How are we going to get it all, all fashioned and stuff? And I remember looking at, you know, we call them, uh, well, burn down curves or, uh, that, that, that where you could show that you can, you can, uh, get all those drawings done. And we'd have great debates about, about, you know, how fast we could do those things and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's pretty cool looking back now and saying, wow, we did it. You know, it's it, it, here's a spacecraft that's fully integrated sitting on a rocket. Um, that's pretty cool. And, and, and as you mentioned, yeah, it takes it takes everybody. You know, I mean, there's there's parts uh, suppliers throughout the states and everybody's got a little piece of that. They're making they're making this piece and then they send it off and it goes down to the Kennedy Space Center. We put it together. I, I think there's there's a, a lot of the nation that really feels the ownership of this. It's not just a NASA thing. It's like there's there's uh, all the way down to mom and pop shops that are that are you know turning something on a lathe or something. Uh, I think that's pretty cool that they send that part off and and it gets integrated in and and, and off it goes. It's part of Orion. It's cool. We're so close to actually flying this too, and and. And that's just really the beginning, as you guys were mentioning, especially for Artemis 1. This is really to just, uh, I think, Stu, you were the one that mentioned it's like the final dress rehearsal, the final test run to make sure that everything's working before we start getting it ready to put to put humans on. And I know that's a pretty big step, right, to go from to go from that test to to the next one where humans are on, are on board. Um both of you are mentioning that the Artemis 2 capsule is is there in the operations and checkout building in um in Kennedy, but, and then Stu, I think it was you that was mentioning that, yes, we have some, we have some, uh, requirements that are, that are there, uh, to make sure that all of this, the, uh, uh, to make sure we're doing all of the right things, but there's also some times built in, uh, between those two missions to say, what did we learn from Artemis one that we can apply to Artemis two? How is that being factored into uh, the design when it seems like you're already so far ahead? How is that being factored into the rest of the production process for Artemis II? One of the things I've always found, uh, one of the strengths of the program, we is that we will use parts of the vehicle, uh, reuse some aspects, uh, but not all of it. And then and so we've got a continuous production line. And so as it it gives us the opportunity that as we fly and learn uh, we can assess and judge and 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 you're right uh, a lot of the these parts have already been built Um, we have a you know very rigorous review process to compare test flight results ahead of the next next flight and say all right is there something that i learned on this first flight that says is a mandatory thing i need to work in and if it is you adjust uh, you know, and, and you figure out what it takes to adjust it in. If it's not mandatory, then you look at it and say, man, I looked at something and I saw some data that says I can really, I can make this thing fly just a little, this much better or make it this much safer. Or, or I learned that, man, I don't need quite as much, um, you know, protection here as I thought, and I can perhaps save downstream production costs. And so 
the the flight process includes a, re a data review process that just feeds into the into the upcoming missions and, and sort of allows you to on-ramp technology upgrades or repairs uh, as you see fit or you say you know what this uh, man this computer worked way smoother than I thought didn't and it was I'm just going to keep using it and I'm um, you know I can uh, I can save Ned some money and defer buying some new computers right and sort of <laughs> spread that out right uh, and so it's um, we have the uh, it's fortunate in the sense that we have a vehicle that has a sort of a sustained production line that gives us that capability to uh, to, to on-ramp changes uh, when we see fit. Now, this no, is yeah. not the first. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but this is not the first time that this is um, that you're going to be doing this, right? To to learn something from one mission and apply it to the next. That already happened for um, uh, Ned, or uh, I think it was Stu actually that mentioned Exploration Flight Test One in December of 2014. There was already stuff that was learned from that mission that's being applied to Artemis One and, and even Artemis Two. Is that is that right, Ned? Yeah, you know we've we've had uh, the the exploration flight test number one uh, was in December of 2015, but you know our testing uh, is a lot more extensive than that. Even uh, we've had several flights. We had had abort one launch in May of 2010. Uh, that was where we tested the abort capability. You know, if something untoward were to happen on the launch pad, you have to to fly the crew to safety. Uh, we use that launch abort system to, to pull them off of the off of the rocket and, and uh, up high enough that, that we could deploy the chutes and, and return the crew safely and we did that test and so that's contributed to the whole learning process and and, uh, and then EFT1 was great we put that on a big delta rocket and uh, and flew it up into uh, a high altitude orbit and uh, returned the returned the spacecraft and, and tested the heat shield, and then the uh, ascent abort test two launch in July of 2019. That's pretty cool. Where again, this abort capability you got to test, and you know when you're when you're flying, you, if, if there's something untoward that happens and you need to to, to rest, you know get the crew to safety. Um, again, you use this launch abort system, but uh, it's it's pretty tricky in the in the dynamic environment of flight, and you have to test that that launch abort system. And we did that. Um, so all of those have contributed to the whole uh, learning of how you uh, how you fly the how you design this rocket, how you fly the rocket, um, and and, uh, and uh, fly the spacecraft on the rocket. And then one other key test that we will do before Artemis two is. When Artemis One comes back, we actually take that spacecraft, the the, the returned spacecraft, and uh, and we test do, do vibration testing on it, more vibration testing on it. So uh, if that launch abort capability is ever used, uh, that we're absolutely a hundred percent certain that uh, that it will survive that environment. And uh, it's uh, so all those things contribute to our, our our learning curve, if you will. Super important. It takes. It's not just right. It's not just the one test. It's it's a, it's all of these different tests together that give you the confidence going forward. And 
um, the, the ability to, to learn so much that gets applied to future missions to learn even more. Thinking about some of the things coming up, Ned, well, I'm, I'll go to you for this this last question and then and then over to Stu as well. Um, but there's so much to look forward to right now. We have the Artemis 1, uh, Artemis 2, we're actually going to fly crew and we're going to see crew around the moon. Um, we're, we're, and, the, and there's so much progress already where we have capsules built, uh, we have good relationships with, with partners and suppliers. What excites you the most thinking about Artemis and, and this, whole, this whole endeavor uh, that we're embarking on to return humans to the moon? Yeah. It's all really exciting. It's it's so cool. Um, I am super proud to to be a, just a part of this endeavor. Um, it, it, like I said, it, you know, when you when you go to the Kennedy Space Center, you see all that stuff stacked up. It's like that's what we've worked so hard for to make sure it's all gonna work and gonna happen. And here it is happening. Um, I'm looking forward to that Artemis One launch. I'm looking forward to Artemis Two successful flight with that um you know i i grew up in the in the uh in the time of apollo i was a, a, a little boy and i was you know listening to neil armstrong step on the moon that was what absolutely motivated me for um to to, to do this work and uh, i think it's so cool to just be a part of it i'm so glad to be uh, a part of it, have my little piece, and uh, and to see it all coming together is just really exciting. Wonderful, Stu. Same question to you. It's it's interesting. Very uh, similar emotions that, that Ned has. It's um, it, I find it really to be a really personal uh, hook to get to build, design, and help build vehicles that. Uh, the crew are going to fly, you know, some, you'll end up in a case where some of these crew end up being really good friends. Uh, I remember my kid being on swim team with other astronauts swim team. Right. And it, it, it puts a different, um, a, a different aspect to the importance of the mission. Uh, and so, yeah, I was, was, as Ned was talking, I think I, having worked parachutes and entry systems for a long time that, uh, for both missions, when I see three good shoots and a nice soft, uh, nice soft landing off the coast, uh, I'll, I'm really looking forward to that, right? Because we got them out both times. We got them out there, got the mission done, and got everybody back home. And uh, you know, then we're uh, then it's time to move on to the next one. And I'm, I'll have my Fitbit on, and I'll be curious to see what my pulse does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Very personal. Uh, a lot of hard work that that went into this, and you can both tell you're both passionate about this work, and and it's uh it's important to to the nation really. Um, lots of uh, I think Ned, it was you who said there's so many so many people that have their fingerprints in this from all over the U.S. and the world really that it it is I I could see where that personal connection comes from, and it's it's wonderful to hear from you both. So Ned and Stu, thank you so much for coming on Houston Wave a podcast and and bringing us. Uh, a better understanding of just what it takes to to build an Orion and to share some of the progress that's, um, it, it's just unbelievable how much progress we've made and, and we're coming up on these missions very soon. It's going to be a very exciting year. So so to you both, thank you, coming, thank you for coming on. Uh, take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
Hey, thanks for sticking around. I really enjoyed having Ned and Stu on to talk about the Orion spacecraft and how to build it. They were both so excited uh, to talk about all the progress, and there has been some significant progress for a lot of Orion spacecraft. I couldn't believe it. I hope you uh, got excited uh, as much as I did. Check out nasa.gov for the latest on what's happening with Orion and with Artemis. If you like podcasts, we're going to be talking about uh, Artemis a lot this year, and we're not the only ones that are going to be doing so. Check out nasa.gov slash podcasts to check out all the other podcasts we have across the agency, uh, and you can check out our full collection of episodes there as well. If you want to talk to us, we're on the Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea or make a comment for the show. Make sure to mention it's for us at Houston Weevil Podcast. This episode was recorded on December 9th, 2021. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Heidi Lavelle, Belinda Polito, and Laura Rashawn. And of course, thanks again to Ned Penley and Stu McClung for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.